Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast where we have research for you. (laughs) I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today we are covering Pokemon Red and Blue. (laughs) So yeah, so we are covering kind of the OGs. We're actually technically covering four games once we dive into this. Four-ish games. Four-ish, I will say. Four-ish. But yeah, we, we are covering the OGs of kind of the collecting and traveling games. That's, mm-hmm. that's the official genre, collecting and traveling. <laughs> they got their own. But no, obviously- They did their own thing. They did their own thing. But yeah, Pokemon Red and Blue is an RPG created in Japan, based in, the first games at least, based in the Kanto region. Mm-hmm. Um, and within this game, you go around collecting your pocket monsters, or Pokemon, to battle, train, and just have, have a great time with. Sometimes. All the time. (laughs) And in these first red and blue, it sets the precedent for what follows in future games. You play through eight different gyms, each one of them having a different theme or different Mm. type of Pokemon. Grass gym, rock gym, fire gym, water gym, psychic gym, and so on. And as you go through and train your Pokemon up, beat these, you fight the Elite Four, and you eventually fight your rival, who is aptly named... Either Gary, which is pretty much what it is in Pokemon Yellow. And as for your character, you can be Red or Blue, uh, Jack, or Ash, aptly named throughout. Now, the biggest thing with these is this was actually different story than the anime and some of the yeah. mangas they had. Because he's technically red, right? Like, that's yes. that's what he is. And, and everyone, myself included, growing up, you always thought that Red and Ash were the same character. And then there are people that get very upset if you bring that up in your adult years. So don't do that, by the way. Well, and, and later down the road, we did see a YouTube anime come out of oh, so good. Red and his series, which is which is which follows the game mm-hmm. and the manga with it, which is beautiful and so well done. But yeah, if, if you've never played Red and Blue, but have played future Pokemon games... You know exactly what goes on. You carry up to your six Pokemons. The rest of them will go into a box that you can kind of swap out when you're at a Pokemon Center. Mm -hmm. Train your Pokemon up. Catch the Pokemon. As Jesse would say, wash, then rinse, 
and dare I say repeat mm-hmm. as yeah. you go through. In that order, please. In that specific order. <laughs> but yeah, this is the this is the game that started it all, started the craze, you know, just started start, so much. Started the best selling genre or that's genre, but I guess family of games of all time. Mm-hmm. A ridiculous amount. And like, some of the some of the, the, the highest selling merchandise and cards and, and just you mentioned Pokemon. Your grandma knows Pokemon. Dude, yes. Well, well, your grandma knows Pokemans. She knows Pokemans, and she knows there's a mouse guy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, so we're going to talk about the original 150 plus one. That's what we're going to call it for today. The original 150 plus one. Yes, so yes. We're going to talk about how that kind of uh, delved into it and, mm-hmm. and what development really took to kind of get Mew into the game, how that spawned one of the most crazy kind of viral marketing at the time as as far as far as the term viral goes yeah how it spread across the internet these rumors started and really how this random game of bug collecting became an international sensation almost overnight dude it was it's it, diving into this it's so crazy to see and like you know to be totally transparent i thought that the game was just a part of the marketing i thought the tv show was what they were pushing mm. or the cards or something but I didn't know that it started with the Game Boy yes, game yes. like so until years later. The game was the OG, and then Alex figured out about the show when he rented the saddest episode of all time, Bye Bye Butterfree. Nah. What is wrong with you? I didn't care about Butterfree. He's not a cool Pokemon. All right, Jesse's fired from this episode. That was the saddest episode of Pokemon ever when Ash cried and had to get rid of Butterfree. All right, I'll see myself out. I'm sorry. You continue the rest without me. All right, Jesse's being an asshole, so we'll just continue <laughs> this episode. Yeah, so so in Pokemon, we're going to dive into what it took to create the game, you know, where we see it today, and what changes were kind of brought about in Pokemon Green, which was exclusively released in Japan until mm-hmm. Fire Red and Leaf Green later, Yeah, as well as the special edition of Pokemon Yellow. Mm-hmm. And to start, let's give you an idea on kind of release dates with it. So Pokemon Red and Green would release in Japan February 27th, 1996, with the following release of Pokemon Red and Blue released in the U.S. September 28th, 1998. Pokemon Special Yellow Edition, so the Pikachu edition, would release October 1st, 1999, a little over a year later in the United States. For years, Japan's Pokemon Green was considered the lost Pokemon game in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I never knew doing research for this that it it there was a green version. So, like reading some interviews, they kept referring to the green version. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are they talking about? Yeah, so that's that's eventually why we do see fire red and leaf mm-hmm. green later mm-hmm. is is based on those. Uh, you're obviously not a true Pokemon fan. You hate Butterfree and you don't know about Pokemon. <laughs> Continue to tell I'm me sorry. about it. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's but but let's dive into the studio Game Freak that that made Pokemon. Satoshi Tachiri started Game Freak in 1981. The company started out selling arcade strategy guides to specialty bookstores. These books were handwritten and stapled together by Tajiri himself. Art director and character designer Ken Sugimori would find himself reading these books and shortly afterwards became friends with Tajiri, playing arcade games together before Sugimori joined the company. They would start to discuss how most arcade games are really similar and wondered how they could do something different. Some readers of Game Freak strategy guides were programmers and would eventually join this team that they were starting 
to create video games. Mm-hmm. So the first game that they would develop was Quinty or Mendel Palax, a puzzle game released on the Nintendo Entertainment System in 1989. This title caught the attention of Nintendo's designer, Shigeru Miyamoto. As we know, he had came up with the Zelda and Mario universes. From, he, is, he is the daddy of Nintendo. He, yeah, he is dad, grandpappy Nintendo. From there, Miyamoto would become something of a mentor to Tajiri and would let him and his team tackle a few Nintendo IPs. The studio would go on to produce Yoshi, Jerry Boy, and a Japanese-exclusive Mario title, Mario & Wario. In 1989, Squaresoft released the Final Fantasy legend for the Game Boy, and this caught Tajiri's attention. The game proved that the Game Boy could contain games that weren't just puzzle or arcade games. Game Freak would start to look at the Game Boy and see what it could really do. Game Freak was interesting at the time because they, they a lot of employees refer to it as a club. You basically came and went as you wanted. You worked the hours you wanted to. And sometimes they would just sleep at the studio. Just just pull out a, a sleeping bag, I assume, or sleep on the couch and just uh, wake up the next morning and go at it. There you go. As far as developing Pokemon... The idea of Pokemon itself would draw influence from Tajiri's adolescence, particularly his bug collecting and love for arcade games. With the Game Boy's ability to link with other Game Boys, he got the idea to have a game that would allow players to collect and trade monsters. He got the idea when playing Chrono Trigger. There was a magical hat that he had wanted, and Sugimori had two of them. He wished there was a way to get you know this hat through a trade instead of trying to grind the mm. game himself and figure it out. He's like, why don't we just figure out a way that like could, you know we can link the Game Boys already? Let's get something that can do that ourselves. But do you think Sigamori would even trade if he could, or did he just want two hats? No, no, he would because he made Pokemon. He's not a maniacal evil person like you who doesn't like Butterfree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to live this down. Not at all. This is the entire episode now. Tajiri and Sugimori would start to create concepts for their game, Capsule Monsters. They presented it to Nintendo with aspirations of selling 1 million copies of the game. Nintendo honestly wasn't 100% on board with it, but, you know, let them do it anyway since they liked working with the duo in the past and loved the concept. And they already knew that they create these puzzle games, and Miyamoto, you know, had kind of true faith in this and was like, I don't know if this would sell, but if you think you can run with it, run with it. Especially you come to them, and granted, anyone can say this, but like we have aspirations to sell a million copies. They're like, might be something here. Yeah, and, and that's really what where Miyamoto jumped in, because mm-hmm. the game it was honestly missing something that Miyamoto kind of came up with a solution for. It was his idea to split the game into two versions. He thought that that trading aspect that they had for the game itself could be done if you had two different versions of the game, so you'd have Mm -hmm. different monsters available in each one. Yes. The trading and collecting aspect could only work, though, if the studio made certain Pokemon, you know, rarer than other ones. This also meant that Pokemon had this more realistic design that was, you know, more common. So if a Pokemon looked more fantasy, it was more rare. Mm -hmm. If it was more just, like, look like a sheep or a horse or a fox, that was Mm -hmm. more of a common Pokemon. You had more of that fantasy or, you know, mythological element around it to be rare, which we'll now learn that is legendary. Yeah, but the development and the balance of the Pokemon was no quick and easy task. Power levels were constantly tested and retuned as development went along. When Game Freak first started working on the game, there were no types for each Pokemon, rather just strong and weak ones. 
This made battles rather boring, so they decided to add water, fire, grass, and all the other types that you mm-hmm. have. The overall process to balance a Pokemon took three years alone. I mean, we see that even in today's standards of Pokemon with adding new ones in, mm-hmm. changing some typesets, you know, as we, we eventually uh, get dark, fairy, steel, you know, we get these other types that are added in, and you have to change up the triangle, you know, what beats what, what's good against mm-hmm. what. And not only that, Pokemon has such an ingenious algorithm behind it to do Pokemon stats, leveling up, move sets, you know, mm-hmm. percentage chance of hits. And a lot of, you know, people who play the games today have been able to find out how to get the perfect Pokemon, how to get this perfect team through, you know, eventually in later games hatching eggs, but in this one, catching Pokemon, checking the stats, how does it level up? And so even using that algorithm, people today use it. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy yeah. that they took years to just fine-tune these minute details. Yeah, and there, as you said, there is a system for years to come where I have a very short attention span, so I'm just like, he looks cool, he's kind of powerful, let's just uh, power our way through this, but and, everyone... And that's what's great about Pokemon, and I love it, because mm-hmm. you have some people that, you know, sweat the game out and have the six best Pokemon. They're mm-hmm. like... The Pokemon, you, you, no one chooses, but they're like stat-wise. The stat-wise, they, they, they're they they're strong against everyone. Yeah, it's like Shuckle. I hate Shuckle. Shuckle is a turtle Pokemon that's weird noodle, <laughs> weird noodle Pokemon. Yeah. But he's one of the highest defense Pokemons out of the entire game. Mm-hmm. And so people will do that to make him like a brick house and just do a Shuckle run. But he doesn't look cool, damn it. He doesn't look cool. That's what I'm saying. The game was going to be called Capsule Monsters, but due to some copyright issues, the game needed to be renamed. Some names that were being considered were Capumon and Capumon, one with a C and one with a K, but eventually Pocket Monsters was the title that they went with, and the Romanized Western name being Pokemon. Yeah, so it's shortened one. I mean, it's it stuck with today. Um, obviously, you're, if it went with Capumon or Capumon, I believe those are just Digimon at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved like when you were a kid and you were the person that's like, you know what they were called in Japan, right? Pocket monsters. Everyone's like, what? What? <laughs> the shortened name is actually bigger? <laughs> it was cool to learn as a kid. And you're like, I mm-hmm. know I know stuff. I know something. That's all I know now. Exactly. Uh, let's jump over to Pokemon designs. Mm-hmm. Pokemon started out with the idea of just having 50 Pokemon in total, or at the time, just having 50 monsters. Mm-hmm. Eventually, with technological advances and aspirations, that number slowly grew into over 200 Pokemon. Sugimori had help from his designers coming up with all of these various designs. And, you know, check our social channels in, like, the next coming days because we're going to start posting a lot of those that we've found yeah, of, like, so original concepts and, like, lost sprites. And it's it's really cool. We, we did see, you know, a couple come later, um, mm-hmm. like Ho-Oh and Don Fan and, and, and a couple others that were in, actually, the Pokemon movie and even in the first episode yes. of the Pokemon show. But others that have never made it in or mm-hmm. have had a tweak. Yeah. So we'll be throwing those in there. It's just it's it's really cool to see. But Atsuko Nishida, who helped design some of the Pokemon, actually based Pikachu off of a squirrel originally, since she was really into squirrels at the time. And who doesn't love a good squirrel? I just loved reading that. She was just like, yeah, it's just really into squirrels. I wanted a squirrel. I love it. <laughs> Sugimori created all of the final designs himself, with Lapras, Rhydon, and Clefairy being the first Pokemon ever created, with Clefairy originally going to be the game's mascot. And we do see that in some of uh, the later games that Clefairies mm-hmm. use a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These Pokemon were originally created to lure other Pokemon in with charisma. Yeah, so it was more about literally just going and collecting them, like, Okay, they're close enough. Throw the ball. Like, get them. Yeah, it was more like, yeah, it was more, you had these Pokemon, you'd bring them in, you'd go, 
oh, hey, Pokemon. <laughs> and as long as your charisma stat was high, boom, got him. <laughs> it was kind of like, like I said, like bug catching. Yes. Just get him and catch him. Yeah, because the battling sequence wasn't really added yet. Yeah, no. It, it, was, it they, was a much later concept. They, they were still like kind of playing around with mm-hmm. it. During the middle of development, the game was more of an RPG. Mm-hmm. So Game Freak decided to make the core of the game completing that Pokedex yes. and finding and catching all the Pokemon. Now, once that became the goal, then the notion of dialing back how many Pokemon in the game would have to come into play. Game Freak had 200 Pokemon, but had to pick their favorite 150 so they could fit it all into the Game Boy cartridge, which was a challenge for the studio because they were this cartridge was kind of like bursting at the seams with memory throughout this whole thing. Again, this is why I love covering these older games, whether it's a Sega game, a Super Nintendo, a Game Boy game, is the limitations that all these designers and teams had to work with and mm-hmm. their clever workarounds. Oh my god, yeah, just we'll talk about them here soon. They're they're awesome. They would save some of the scrap pokemon for potential sequels mm-hmm. like as you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. Then next came designing the moves for each pokemon and figuring out what move would fit with what pokemon, which was again another tedious task cuz now it's like Okay, we we have this one move. Well, now as we had talked about balance, it just throws off the balance entirely. And yeah, it was it was a lot of work on their end. And what Pokemon can learn what? Like, can a Pokemon with no legs learn Double Kick? Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that those move sets for each of these entities could learn. Because honestly, if if you have a chance and you haven't seen any of this side tangent with code, because I love code, is breaking into and seeing how it's all subsetted and seeing how they do stuff. You know. To, this goes with this, this is set to this. And what's really cool is is later in the episode, we'll talk about how when people crawled through the code, they found a lot of secret things, missing things, potentially later game things. Yeah, yeah. Once they fixed the problem of dialing down how many Pokemon needed to be in the game, they were then faced with more storage problems with the map itself. It was too large to fit into the cartridge with the 150 Pokemon. They eventually came up with the idea that the character is actually stationary and the map moves around them, which is, I did not know that. That is so cool. And because when you're playing the game, you don't really realize it. Because most games kind of did something like this. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense that your character just has, like, what, three animations still, left leg out, right leg out? Essentially, and then, yeah. And then the bike. but And then just the forward and backwards facing, yeah. left, right. So three animations at four different angles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it it makes sense. You just load that animation in, and then you just drag the map. Yeah, so instead of having a giant map to load, it's actually just this small area that's scrolling. Super, super smart. So cool. Pokemon, at one point, were just going to be pets, you know, rather than friends. Game Freak felt that Pokemon needed to develop with the player in mind. It needed to have something that wasn't just like, oh, yeah, just toss another ball over there. We got another Lapras in the pool. You know, we needed to make them, like, bond and, and, and have a special connection with it. This is why only four moves can be learned and why Pokemon can be renamed. So they wanted you to really hone in and focus on that Pokemon being like, what moveset should it have? It's going to be this type. You know, what what can we really do to hone that in, make battling fun, but also make it so that you know your Pokemon. You've customized it and created like this relationship. That's why you nickname it as well. That's why it's like you always see a joke on TV if they're going to. You know, they, they find, like, a pig or something. Like, Don't name the pig, because then you make this personal connection with it. That's the same reason. Though. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. If the player trades a Pokemon, its name and skill set can reflect that it was something that was groomed by previous trainers. Mm-hmm. Which, which you know, in today's standards of Wonder Trade, it's so easy to do trading. But at the time, doing a link trade with someone, it was really cool to get their Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And you'd also get their unique ID number. 
and that unique ID number is used within later games for lottery, for checking out if you get bonuses for the day. Mm-hmm. And it really, you know, really called out to try and get people to trade and, and to start up games and to get something rolling. It, it was just such a, such a fun time with it. And I'm really glad they added it. I never won the lottery, ever. <laughs> but you can win a Master Ball. It was such a neat thing to, to force people and want people to trade regularly. Yeah. Around the fourth year of development, Pokemon almost honestly never happened. The computers that Game Freak were creating the game on, which is this Unix Sun Spar C-Station 1, kept crashing. And Game Freak's Junichi Masuda, who was one of the two programmers in the game, and they created the music and the sound effects. So, shouts out to them for some of the the sickest beats (laughs) on the cartridge. (laughs) This is true. Said he went through three or four computers by the time the game was all said and done. Like, they just were destroying these things. Yeah. If they hadn't been able to fix some of the computers, the game, in all honesty might not have ever shipped. At one point, a computer crashed that had all of the game's data on it. That, that's what you do. That's what you do. Just put it all put it all there. Well, listen, it's kind of hard at the time to kind of save stuff between them. I mean, you've already got 3,000 floppies going. <laughs> What's another one? <laughs> Masuda would end up having to read English books about the computer since there wasn't a lot of Japanese information on it and eventually, you know, honestly had to learn a lot of English. Yeah. To, to start to figure out how to trans, figure out what to do, mm-hmm. and was eventually able to get the info off that computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And computer crashing, you know, or just dying during game development was actually pretty common at the time in Japan. And their ruling was kind of like, it was a few things. Computers were still, still relatively new at this time. Like modern computers, I would say, mm-hmm. are still relatively new. Burnout, you know, from using them 24 7, just different power wattages, everything kind of encapsulated together yeah. would just run those things ragged. Yeah, and especially pushing them to their limits to develop this game. To constantly, like, every day. Mm-hmm, yeah. But let's talk about the Western releases of the game. So around the end of development for you know what we've been talking about is Pokemon Red and Green, mm-hmm. uh, it was hitting the six-year mark, and Game Freak was actually very worried about how well Pokemon was going to do, since the Game Boy in Japan was on the decline. Like, you know, they would even tell some of their friends, like, we're developing this original IP for the Game Boy, and they're like, that's kind of like on its last leg. Yeah. They still had their hearts set on selling one million copies of the game, though. When the game released in Japan as Pokemon Red and Green, February 27th, 1996, it was an overnight success. Yeah, because, so, gaming history for you. So this was kind of, like you said, the last leg is the Game Boy. The Game Boy Color was on its way mm-hmm. coming out. And so that's where we'll see eventually Pokemon Red and Blue being on the Game Boy Color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Nintendo had their eyes on the Western audience for Pokemon, but feared it may not bode well there, but they still wanted to roll the dice on it. At one point, the Pokemon were almost changed to look more menacing to appeal to the U.S. audience. <laughs> to, to appeal to our guns and violence. <laughs> <laughs> Since the U.S. Nintendo marketing team felt that the Pokemon were just too cute. The U.S. marketing team actually sent back some concepts for some redesigns of the Pokemon with Pikachu designed as a large tiger with huge breasts. That's this, that's the uh, the CEO of Pokemon, by the way. That's verbatim what he said. Large tiger with huge breasts. Dude, tigers and boobs. That's what the United <laughs> States loves. When Game Freak asked how the hell that looked like Pikachu, the U.S. team pointed out that it had a tail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, if we want to talk about U.S. Nintendo and Japan Nintendo... This is the paragraph that basically surmises that for you. <laughs> how, how, is that Pikachu? Look at that tail. 
Listen, that's not even the same tale. We now have a tale. A, we now have Doug Bowser. We have actual Bowser as president. Reggie did a great job too. But before that, <laughs> very questionable people. Phenomenal. Pokemon Company CEO Sanakazu Ishihara described this redesign as something out of the musical Cats. I love it. I, I lo- <laughs> and if, if they only knew what cats look like today. <laughs> but yeah, you had uh, red and blue in the U.S. coming out on Game Boy as well, eventually make its way to Game Boy Color. Each Pokemon also had to be renamed for the U.S. version with the names based off of how the Pokemons look and their characteristics. And Game Freak had to make sure that each one of these new names weren't copyrighted. Mm-hmm. The Pokedex also needed to be completely reworked to have two screens for the U.S. release rather than one big screen on the Japanese version. Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi felt that if Pokemon could sell well in Japan, it could sell well in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Nintendo was going to just release Pokemon Red and Green in the United States, but they learned that in the U.S., red and blue are seen as more opposites than red and green are, so that's why they changed it to red and blue. Mm, Okay. Uh, I sure I, I don't know though the decision wasn't I, I do know because it's in the notes that's how I know <laughs> so I do know though the decision wasn't easy to change the colors they did have the time to do so the US version was released two and a half years after the Japanese version the US version took so long to release due to more storage constraints the English text took up much more space than the Japanese versions very true if you do speed runs mm-hmm. put it on Japanese text Pokemon names, character names, and attack names, and even the UI had to be changed to accommodate for this. So it wasn't like it, this it was, was just not. Like, it wasn't just like translate. It was like translate but redo it all. Yeah, because again, it's like oh, all this stuff is way too long. These names are way too long. So now we have to come up. They essentially had to come up with a new name set entirely for everything. Yep. Each Pokemon also had to be renamed, like we said, for the U.S. version, with names based off of the Pokemon's characteristics, and Game Freak had to make sure that none of the games were copyrighted. So that's where we get a lot of, um, uh, you know, that, like, pertain to kind of what they are, like Beedrill, mm-hmm. Butterfree. Pidgey. Pidgey. Yeah. Like, like, all those kind of pertain to either, like, a moveset, like Charmander, like Char, like mm-hmm. Fire. Um, so it kind of all pertained to this. It's really cool. And I, I love Pokemon naming. I think it's just really clever at times, mm-hmm. um, especially when you have goofy Pokemon that don't shouldn't exist. And like gotta... the keys. Listen, Klefki, <laughs> it's a great Pokemon. I love how you just knew that instantly. I know all the Pokemon. This is why Butterfree is coming to haunt your dreams forever. <laughs> you evil, evil man. <laughs> uh, however... The Pokedex also needed to be completely reworked to have two screens for the U.S. release, rather than the one screen for the Japanese version. Pokemon Red and Blue were made from the code from Japan's Pokemon Blue, which was actually a modified follow-up to their Red and Green game a few months after the release that was actually a mail-in order exclusive. Eventually, the two games had to be recreated because of the numerous changes they were making for the U.S. version. So... It's one of those things where you have to change your report a bit, and you're like, screw it, I'll just do the report again. Yeah, just because it's you can only do so much before you just have to start from scratch. Especially when you're breaking code. Instead of just going back to repair code and break it constantly, why mm-hmm. not just rework it? The game took another year to release in Europe. When the U.S. version was released, Nintendo had given no indication of when it would release or if it honestly would release the European version. Mm-hmm. This led to many European fans going out of their way to import the game and some shops buying them in bulk from the U.S. to sell in Europe. After the release of Red, Green, and Red, Blue, Game Freak weren't done with Gen 1 just yet. They wanted to release a third version of the game, Yellow, that would bridge the gap between the first two games 
and even bring in some characters from the anime and honestly follow along Ash's journey. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Pokemon Yellow is because yeah. if you're familiar with it, your starter is Pikachu. Mm-hmm. You know, for years, like we said, it, it brought it in because as these games were releasing, the anime had been going on. So you got to kind of officially play as Ash now. The, yeah, this was like the canonical version versus the other two were just, you know, uh, of Red and his journey. But this is like, you know, Ash's kind of journey that follows Red, but not because mm-hmm. it's also the show. Yeah. The Western Red, Blue, and Yellow versions were actually being developed at the same time as Pokemon Gold and Silver for Japan, which is happens a lot with uh, games like that that come from Japan. Usually they already have their version and then a different version is worked out. So they're like working on like the, all their new ideas, but then they have to go back to the Western release to be like, how do we fit all this in here? And that's and then once again, that's why we see some of the Pokemon from Silver and Gold in some of the marketing, in the movie, in mm-hmm. other things that they wanted to include in it, but are included in the later games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but now this is where it gets interesting because you know we we're going to talk about some secrets and rumors and what you had talked about this like word of mouth viral marketing that happened. So Pokemon number one hundred fifty one Mew was supposed to be a secret. Programmer Shikeki Morimoto saw that the game had space for one extra Pokemon, so he put it in as a secret for the designers. The secret didn't last long, though, because basically everyone found out immediately. Supposedly, Mew was showing up in the game for some players, but Morimoto thought that this was due to just some kind of bug. It would eventually spawn the infamous rumor that Mew could be obtained being found under the truck by the SSN or by sticking your Pokemon in the freezer. But this is not true whatsoever. Specifically the Pokemon game. There's no freezer you shove your Pokemon in, in the game itself. <laughs> Jesse's referring to the cartridge. Now, <laughs> sorry, Jesse, sorry about that. Jesse being the sadistic, terrible Pokemon trainer he is, probably did that to his Pokemon. <laughs> because he is evil and doesn't cry at Butterfree. And, and I even watched, apparently, I watched some video a guy made about this. And he had said that you had to actually open up your car. Like, there was a rumor if you opened up the cartridge and removed something you could get it was like an inhibitor chip and it's like yeah. this was the actual thing that was blocking you but i think it would like just destroy your game yes. essentially because yes, he said don't he that. said he called uh uh nintendo america us and they're just like don't please don't do that you have altered it i'm not giving you a refund <laughs> but mew can be obtained through a handful of bugs or a game shark game freak credits the mystery and allure around mew's existence in the game for driving sales of the game itself i guess it 100 percent and the many hours i tried to do it i remember mm-hmm. going on like game faq and downloading some guy that some dude typed up in some word program <laughs> like 80 pages on how to do this and i remember with friends we like like maybe it's like 302 p.m we like sit by the truck and like mash the buttons and like try and get under it and like <laughs> oh maybe it's a specific time code it's not but it was it was it was the age and era of like those beautiful game rumors before the internet mm. really pushed those before things. Before IGN ruined the fun and said it wasn't true. Exactly. So the allure was perfect. I love harmless things like that. That mm. is just like within the game community. Someone's like, oh, but but I did it. And I went left, left, right, up, down, up, down, and then pushed A twice. And the code <laughs> changed and it popped out. You're like, muse it. Because then you even had like fake videos come out of oh, it happening. Yeah. and. It was great. It, well, it's like uh, Ocarina of Time finding the Triforce. I remember when I was a kid, oh, someone yeah. had posted a video or something. I was like, what? Or and, get, or I love that like old games, too. Like getting into rooms you're not supposed to and like mm-hmm. you can actually get in there and get that thing. You're like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> there are also many rumors regarding Missing No or the Missing Pokemon for short. I, I'm sure many of you who are OGs that played this, uh, Jesse apparently didn't because he's a scrub. <laughs> um, use this as a glitch. So this 
was a random thing. I don't know how anyone figured it out, but you would talk to the old man in Viridian City, fly down to Cinnabar, go up and down the right coast, and you would find Missing No. And Missing No is like a broken, pixelated monster, or sometimes it would appear as like a Rhydon or an Aerodactyl. And it was always like random levels, sometimes level 1, 0, 150, whatever. If you caught it, which you could, you had the risk of crashing your game, of kind of corrupting the file, but if you defeat it, or even if you catch it, in one of your slots, if you moved your items up and down, it would multiply it and give you a full stack. All, all, and you just do it a couple times. You basically have infinite Master Balls, infinite Rare Candy. Hell yeah. Jesse didn't, because he's a scrub. Um, <laughs> and he's the worst Pokemon trainer out there. He should be fired. Missing No, nonetheless, was this you know awesome glitch that was part of lore. It still remains part of lore. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it's really well known. And it actually spawned this kind of rumor at the time with these glitched off sprites that they believe that there are actually hidden legendary Pokemon or Poke Gods. If you can go down this rabbit hole, like, do it. It's super interesting. Like, we, we know it's not the case, but it's still interesting to see all these theories people have made about it, and they don't believe Game Freak, essentially, yeah. the Pokemon company. They're like, no, 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 they're there. Well, and the thing was is so many people out of this minority that found it started calling up Game Freak and the Nintendo hotlines. And... They were calling them so much about these Poke Gods that the hotline would eventually feature a message at the beginning debunking any myths about them. Stop calling about the Poke Gods. They don't exist, you nerds. Go to bed. See? And they, that's when they knew the Illuminati runs Nintendo. Because <laughs> <laughs> we learned. <laughs> but the original Pokemon games were created by about 10 people. Development took six years due to lack of resources, which was about triple the usual time it took Game Freak to develop a game. It was originally supposed to be one of those early titles for the Game Boy that got released later in that weird transition of Game Boy to Game Boy Color mm-hmm. period. Yeah, yeah. You know, right about in there. That's so crazy. This game took six years. Like, and the fact that it became what it became is crazy. But now that we've talked about development of the game itself, let's talk about the marketing. Nintendo wasn't just thinking about Pokemon as a game, but as a multimedia franchise, and they had their eyes set on many different outlets. First and foremost, a card game to go along with the Pokemon universe. Nintendo also came up with the tagline, Gotta Catch Em All, to perfectly sum up the journey of Pokemon. All multimedia aspects of the game actually came after the game's success, starting in Japan. Nintendo spent over... $50 $50 million on marketing the first two Pokemon titles alone. Mm-hmm. In the May 1998 issue of Nintendo Power, there would be a five-page article featuring the anime and the games alone, hyping the game for the U.S. audience. In August the same year, Nintendo Power would release Pokemon Power, which was its own mini-magazine with six issues total revolving around the multimedia Pokemon franchise. Nintendo wouldn't stop there. They would deck out Volkswagen Beetles and Pokemon graphics and Pikachu ears to drive around the U.S. that even had its own custom horde that made the noise Pika Pika. No, no, no. If you're a true Pokemon fan, say it as it is. Pika Pika. Thank you very much. Continue. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm I don't, sorry, boss. I don't want a Pika Pika horn. <laughs> I don't want Patrick Starr doing it. <laughs> to this day, one might see one of those bugs driving around. I think a few years ago, someone had posted. That, like, obviously, someone bought one and mm-hmm. just, just drives around. Dude, I would it. do it. One other aspect that was added in with the commercial success was the commercials. One of my mm-hmm. favorite being um, this very sadistic one. If you've ever seen it or want to watch it, it is a bus driver 
Oh, I remember that. Who is <laughs> driving around the Pokemon. It's like a bunch of like Chansey and like Kangaskhan and Pikachu. And everyone's having a good time in this bus. And the driver's like, oh, you're going to Pokemon Village? Sure, I'll take you to Pokemon Village. Drives it over to a junkyard and crushes the bus with the Pokemon in it. And it's like, what, what is going on? And so the whole thing was, it's like fitting all of these Pokemon in this like grand journey into this tiny cartridge because then it shows like a Game Boy on the ground mm-hmm. with the Pokemon like reaching out of the screen, <laughs> ter- terrified us. screaming. <laughs> and then it pans to the bus driver and it looks in his face and it's Jesse Reiner's. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> no. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, this was this was the wacky 90s. This was when commercials were over the top. He had, had that a, wow had a, factor, shock factor. WWC commercial of Sting beating the tar out of some kid at one point. The commercials were great. Well, like Crash Bandicoot and all those other ridiculous ones. Like gaming commercials, all commercials in that time. It was weird. So, yeah. They Bring had, it back. A lot of that weird success in the U.S. And, you know, we, we're not going to touch too much on Japanese marketing because there's just so much they had over there with toy lines, mangas. And we're going to touch on a little bit of that. But as far as, like, the individual stuff, you know, what we're going to kind of do an overview of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it really, I'd, I'd say the main pushes for the U.S. And, and even in Japan were the trading cards, the television show, and even the manga. But... It was also crazy at the time because they had a movie mm-hmm. that was that was published by Toho. Because I remember seeing that in theaters. I'm, I'm assuming you did too. It was such a big deal. Uh, yeah. Do you not have your Mew card still? No. Fake Pokemon fan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so growing up, that was such a big deal, and it ended up going on to earn 163.6 million dollars in box office. Like it's, it was. It's crazy. Well, let's 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 dive into that now. Let's 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 get into it. Let's talk about a little bit more about each kind of section of it mm-hmm. and break yeah, it down. Yeah. You know, obviously with the trading cards, this was when Alex was honestly. Some might say, I think everybody might say, king of the schoolyard. Were you? I had a victory bell. I had an Alakazam. Oh, what was that? Holographic Charizard. Nuts. So you know, it's like some people. Like, can't get out of, like, their high school glory days. Alex is in, like, his grade school glory days. Well, Jesse never had any glory days because he's a terrible Pokemon master. <laughs> so, so I remember when I had the cards, all I had was Slowpokes and Slowbros. Yeah, Don't well, ask that's me about why. Right. That is about right I also right never actually – I'm assuming you played the card game. I like, did later. I collected as a kid, mm-hmm. like, when it came out because 98, 99, I was – I was in first grade, second grade. Mm-hmm. So it was just like more like you brought your, your cars to school to be like, look yeah. at this cool looking one. I, I don't think anyone's like knew how to play. No. Hell no. Later down, when I, I played maybe a bit more when I was like 10, 11. I'd play that until Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of swept. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so so this was the card game was developed in 98 by Wizards of the Coast, you know, from Magic the Gathering fame. That's pretty much the staple for mm-hmm. trading card games. And it was pretty much that year was like, that was along with the games. That was the Christmas gift and like the pa- trading card. Packs, packs. packs and packs, packs and packs and packs. We even see that now with YouTube trending mm-hmm. of pack opening of oh original card boxes and buying original card boxes. So yeah, and they basically kept up with that. Still do. Still have like all the new Pokemon with it. Mm-hmm. Had the television show. Obviously, you know, since the release of on April first, nineteen ninety seven. Um, I believe shortly after that, there was Bye Bye Butterfree, an award winning episode uh, <laughs> that Alex found at Blockbuster. The show has gone on, continued to date, for 24 seasons and over 1,000 episodes with honestly no end in sight. You know, it's trying to basically, you know, it's pulling a One Piece or a Naruto. Yeah. But with cooler. 
Well, it's crazy because it's still regarded as one of the most successful video game television adaptations of all time. It is. I mean, th- yeah. Like, I mean, you have to figure it's with a lot of stuff. You hit something out of the park, and then everything else is kind of a foul ball most of the time. Mm-hmm. It gets close. It does okay, but to continue on and keep a fan base through multiple generations that still play it. Well, there's and a, still... there's a there's several Pokemon games for every generation. Mm-hmm. Like that's so crazy. So yeah, it's, it's amazing that it's still there. And like you said, with the movie, uh, which is published by Toho. Pokemon, the first movie, or Mewtwo Strikes Back, which I absolutely love. Uh, <laughs> it was released in Japan on July 18th, 1988, and October 1st, 1988, but produced by 4Kids Entertainment. That's a whole other tangent in of itself of how 4Kids changed anime mm-hmm. and Pokemon stuff for U.S. audiences versus what Japanese audiences had. Mm-hmm. But was produced for like more of a U.S.-based audience. It did... Honestly, amazing. And like we said, this is where you first get to see a lot of Gen 2s that we didn't know about mm-hmm. and kind of teased them. Yeah, because I remember watching. I was like, that's not in my Pokemon guide of 150 Pokemon. And and this was what I love when we started to get more movie theaters that did promotions. Mm-hmm. So you would get an Ancient Mew card. There, mm-hmm. there might have been others. I'm not, I don't remember off the top I, of my I head. I only got the Ancient Mew. So it was Ancient Mew for sure. And Jesse obviously burned that because he hates Pokemon. <laughs> I didn't burn it. Uh, but... <laughs> The other thing, and I remember these toys, I still have some upstairs, is a tie-in promotion with Burger King. And they did special toys related to the movie. Like, there was a Gengar, there was a Spinny Top. I have the Nido King. Yep. I still have the Nido King. Uh, It used to be on my keys. Had those. They had, like, Squirt Gun Blastoise ones. Mm. Like, all these other, like... Well, they also had their own cards. Yes. They had their own cards as well. Along with giant Pokeballs. Which confused the hell out of my parents. And then they had the golden cards. Yep. That weren't real gold, but you didn't take them out of the case because you didn't you didn't. T- you don't want to touch them and smear them. Dude, they, they had so many different varieties of that. Because like you said, the Pokeballs with the, that gold card that went in it, mm-hmm. different cards in and of itself, the spinning tops, the toys that actually like would shoot water or like launch Dude, something. It, it was so ridiculous. You even had a, a Mewtwo himself and a Mew because the yes. Mew was in the in the ball. We're just going down this nostalgic trip, uh, that, folks. That, that Jesse doesn't like. But I would. <laughs> <laughs> but. Just one thing. So did your bur- did in a Burger King near you? Our Burger King in, in Lincoln, Illinois. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday nights, they would have a meetup where kids would just show yes, up and have the, the raffle and, and trade the cards yep. that they had. Oh, it's so cool. We did at the I, You know what? Now that you bring that back, we did. Because it kind of became the hangout spot where you'd go and you'd trade cards. You'd mm-hmm. buy a Happy Meal and you'd get like, your new Pokemon toy. Dude, it was so crazy. God, I remember that too. Yeah, that was the weird era where like... Burger King was successful and not dirty. <laughs> well, that, that, <laughs> but a lot of places started doing that. They'd mm-hmm. have like hangouts where you'd come and do stuff and meetups, more like community things based around an IP... Yeah, dude, fun stuff. And then I just want to tie it in with the, <laughs> the last bit of this this chunk of like all kind of general Pokemon media. You did have the manga, which was created by Satoshi Tajiri, and it would be Pokemon Adventures. So it would follow, like we said, Red, and it would release around March 97. And then it's still ongoing. It still branches out from there, but your, your origins was with, with Red from Pokemon Red and Blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and isn't it? It really follows the story of each game mm-hmm. every time they're releasing more and more. Yep. But yeah, so so there were other marketing tactics they did, like legendary Pokemon offer, which Game Freak would capitalize on the rumors of Mew being obtainable. Mm-hmm. So they basically paired up with the manga magazine Koro Koro Comics, and they held a contest, and they would pick 20 winners who would randomly receive Mew. Yes. So they just had to mail Game Freak the copy of their, their uh, uh, Pokemon, game. Pokemon game, and then they would just install it and send it back to them. I, I, I wonder how much one of those 20 is worth. Nothing because no one has any idea if it's true. Because you can just game shark it. True, true. Oh, that, yeah, true. 
Unless they sent some kind of certificate. Probably not. That but. Jesse would just get rid of because he <laughs> <hates> Pokemon. <laughs> uh, we also had the April Fool's Pokemon Guide. Due to so many rumors surrounding hidden Pokemon, Nintendo released guides for April Fool's, showing players how to catch some of these hidden Pokemon, including Yoshi and Luigi, or Lugigi. <laughs> which w- Luigi would eventually become Lugia, obviously. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Since then, Game Freak has gone to confirm that Yoshi isn't a Pokemon, and that Kirby isn't either. Yeah, because the second, like, not a lot of people are sure that that was April Fool. So everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. Yoshi's a Pokemon. Mario and Pokemon are connected. It all makes sense. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. They made a boo-boo. <laughs> uh, we also had the Pokemon Yellow Game Boy Color. So with the release of Pokemon Yellow, Nintendo would release a special yellow Pokemon Color with red and green A and B buttons that would also be bundled with Pokemon Yellow mm-hmm. as well. And then finally, and I remember you you recommended this to me, you have Pokemon Origins. So this anime is a close representation of the original Pokemon Red and Blue games, following Red in his adventure to become the best Pokemon trainer. The anime was a culmination project from Studios Production IG, Zebek, and OLM. The first episode would debut in Japan October 2nd, 2013, with the English version debuting November 15th, 2013. Mm-hmm. It's it's good. It's, it's good. It's a, it's a solid one, man. It's how many episodes? Five-ish episodes or something? I think so. I got through like three or four. Yeah. It's super good. And it tells the whole story of Pokemon Red and Blue with Red, and it follows all the gym battles, mm-hmm. him catching Pokemon, the training. It's kind of what you wanted the anime to be at times. Yeah. And it really picked it up and told such a cool story. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, no Bye Bye Butterfree, but <laughs> still great. Uh, so we'll just touch on the, the campaign a bit, just to give you the very loose idea of, mm-hmm. of really what goes on. So you, as Pokemon Red, Pokemon Blue, depending on what version you play, but canonically Red, and you're just a baby trainer, setting out to become the Pokemon Master. So you go to visit Professor Oak, who you learn uh, has these three Pokemon available for you, and your rival, who's his grandson, Blue, or Gary in the the anime, or Mm -hmm. Pokemon Yellow. So you choose a Pokemon, and from there you continue your journey. The journey then takes you through various towns. Uh, You start at Pallet Town, you eventually go through Viridian City, Cinnabar Island, Cerulean City, Pewter, plenty of them out there. And you then train and defeat these eight gyms. Mm -hmm. Once you get your eight gym badges, and you've trained your Pokemon, you go fight the Elite Four. And once you defeat those Elite Four, which is like the best of the best trainers, Mm-hmm. also shows off like top tier Pokemon that have played you then fight your rival for the last time you've been kind of seeing them in different cities and battling them to kind mm-hmm. of see how they've been doing mm-hmm. and it's cool because you get to see their Pokemon progress and evolve just as yours are and once you're there you fight Blue or Gary you then become the Pokemon Master Professor Oak welcomes you into the legendary Hall of Fame and your Pokemon are forever immortalized in a little banner that mm-hmm. has them on there and tells you when you won what time it took how many you owned Things like that. Yeah. The game features various other options in there, such as fighting Team Rocket as you go throughout, mm-hmm. who you learn is bossed. Bossed? Yeah, boss is a good word. I'll use boss. Ran? No, boss. <laughs> Managed? Bossed. Bossed <laughs> by Giovanni, who is technically the first gym leader who you don't get to fight because he's not in. So you yeah. actually fight him last as the last gym leader. And you fight different Team Rocket members along the way while solving mysteries of what's going on, of learning the origins of, you know, like people like Mewtwo and Mm -hmm. the legendary birds. As you finish that game, after you see the credits roll, you have an island open up. You can go surf to the island, and that is where you find Mewtwo, mm-hmm. where you can hopefully use the Master Ball you've saved, unless you did what Alex did and caught the first bird with the Master Ball. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
you guys all know the story of Pokemon, but that is the general gist of it. And and it follows canonically, like I said, through that anime that is later produced for the entire story mm-hmm. of Pokemon yeah. Red. Yeah. But now that we have a general outline of, the, of that campaign, uh, beautifully done by Alex over thank here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk about some cut material. Which is, I think this is one of the most interesting sections of this episode thus far mm-hmm. and kind of talks about a lot more of the development cycle of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we could start with like instead of phrases like that wasn't very effective or that was super effective regarding attacks, the lines at one point were that hurt and that really hurt. That hurt, that really hurt. That really hurt. <laughs> glad that glad that changed. <laughs> yeah, well they said that it didn't actually register. They just thought it was the same phrase, rewritten, you know, just written yeah. differently. Instead of saying, you know, now you learn that that move wasn't effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also had the original names for the main characters would be Satoshi and Shigeru, but this did not transfer to the U.S. versions. Mm-hmm. Now we have one of the coolest things. Like I said, with social and with some of our other stuff, we're going to be posting a lot of these really cool images that are out there. Mm-hmm. These are a lot of the cut Pokemon some that were reworked, some that were just never seen again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first up, we have Gaiun. This Pokemon seemed to be more compressed version of like Tyranitar. It was it was very much a Godzilla esque, mm-hmm. and the name was actually based on the roar of Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yep. That that Gaiun, you know, you know, which the, I think the is like roar. something with like wires or something. Like, are they they're taking like wires and like rubbing something against it? I used to know this at one point. Okay, nerd. Anyway, it's just. Based I love on Godzilla. Yeah, not Pokemon though. <laughs> but but that essentially was like an early concept of Tyranitar. If you see it, it just looks. It, it kind of looks like, and they kind of adapted it. Kind of like a short version. Like if I were Tyranitar, it'd be a short short Tyranitar. Well, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> we have Crocky, um, which was this lizard crocodile that I kind of became crocodile. Mm-hmm. Um, crocodile, crocodile, the desert one. Say like crocodile, whatever it was. I thought you said you knew all these. Shut up, nerd. Crocky <laughs> <laughs> was in there. Jagu, which was a spear-headed shark, which was kind of had the design of Sharkpedo, but more of just a full shark. Just to continue, tell me more about these Pokemon. We're at Barunda, which was kind of like the Walmart smiley face. Or if you're not from Walmart, it's just a smiley face. It's just like <laughs> a goofy kind of like little Japanese happy ball. And they kind of turned it down because... It's just kind of a ball, and they weren't really sure what to do with it. I could see that being an early version of Ditto. Yeah, I mean, but you also have Voltorb, which is a ball. That's true. Uh, We had Kotara and Raytaro, which is, it kind of looked like a baby tiger. So it's it's two different tiger evolutions. You Mm -hmm. have, like, the baby version of it and the adult version of it. It is yet to make it into the game. It's it's similar to some things that we've seen thus far, but as far as, like, the look of these, we have not. I haven't seen it in there yet. We also had Gorochu, which was going to be the third evolution in the Pikachu evolution line. Yeah, it was going to be like a badass Raichu. Mm-hmm. And on the topic of that as well, there were a decent number of two evolution Pokemon series, evolution lines. Mm-hmm. There were going to be three. Yes, yes. Some were going to have baby versions of it. Like there was going to be a baby Goldeen, uh, baby Vulpix, mm-hmm. uh, a couple other babies, and some other like bigger versions. But it just never panned out especially with cutting memory on the game cartridge and yes. and kind of just ended the line there. Pikachu, we do get a third one with Pichu as we get the baby Pokemon mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. but nothing that became that that bigger adult evolution yeah, of it. Yeah, and, and there were a handful others, but those were the really interesting ones because then some of them, if you see the concept art, 
it's just like the pixel version mm-hmm. of them or the sprite version of them. And it's like too kind of hard to discern. There have been artists that have recreated what they think they would look like. Yeah. And it's actually really cool to well, see. And what's funny, going back to those two tiger Pokemon, the Katora and the Raitora, those were actually in the leaked Pokedex of Gold and Silver. Oh. And they were shown as sprites, but I guess they just didn't make the cut. There was no real info on that. Mm-hmm. It was just more so that it was there and then they weren't. And then to touch lastly on MyCon, which was going to be the baby evolution of Vulpix, it was still hinted at for a while because the original Vulpix Pokemon entry said that the Pokemon at birth only had one tail and eventually splits to those nine. Mm. And the baby MyCon only had one tail with like some oh, starting to split off. That's interesting. Yeah. So, so you know, maybe we'll see that eventually one day. I think we're kind of just done with that. We're just going to start seeing new and new Pokemon. Yeah. I mean, like once in a blue moon, especially now, they're they're adding in, like, the baby versions or the third evolutions or even a second one. But, mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part, it's going to be new ones. There were also 39 trainers left in the code that were unused, with Professor Oak himself was also going to be a trainer you could battle. He was supposed to be, like, pretty much after Blue or Gary. Mm-hmm. Or they think replace him because he has actually the strongest Pokemon in the game, and he actually would take the other Pokemon that no one took. Yeah, because because uh, Gary and, and Ash took you know one of the, or two Pokemon, and he would use the third one. Yeah, so he would use the one that you are strong against because because mm-hmm. your rival would always take the one that your Pokemon's weak against. Mm-hmm. So if you took Charmander, they would take Squirtle, and and so and so. But yeah, Oak would have a team of Taurus. Your, your other Pokemon you didn't pick, Arcanine, and a couple others that were kind of these strong suits of mm-hmm. the game. But moving on from that, there was also a 12th city cut from the game, which is known as the Lost City. But Game Freak has never really confirmed this, but players have made their way into it for a short time before the game freezes and crashes. Yeah, so if you try and go in there, so it's it's supposed to be as part of the map, which then became a lake, and they're thinking it's cut due to memory issues. But people have gone through the code and saw that before you know, the first item or TM and the towns for the coding, there's one that's just left blank. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of seen as mystery city and people have tried to break into it. And if they have gotten successful in pushing the code... It just crashes the game or white screens it, and you're not able to go anywhere in there. Because they've also seen that there was code for a shop, and they found that what items the shop would sell. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be a very late game city because it sold Ultra Balls, Hyper Potions, Max mm-hmm. Revives. Okay, okay. So it's supposed to be one of those later ones. So they don't know if that could have been something like the Battle Tower that eventually comes later in the Pokemon series. Yeah. Or if it's supposed to be like a post game one. You know, people just kind of there's only speculations on it. So, yeah. So if you look online or or go through it yourself, there's there's a lot of code that is left open or empty that were just placeholders. Mm -hmm. So the speculations there, if that was just a placeholder, but pulling original concept art of the map, they do see there was supposed to be that legendary 12th city Mm -hmm. that was eventually cut. Yeah. And finally, they cut playing as a female character from the game. Yeah. Really, I'm assuming a lot of that was just memory issues. Because mm-hmm, um, they s- brought that in very quickly afterwards. Yes, yeah, so we do say that quickly. You can choose between the two. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's really interesting, these cuts that were made. And, I, I like, Pokemon, for me, I'll talk about Stand 2. Don't worry. It's going to come. A full rant from Alex will come. <laughs> this is one of my favorite game series of all time. You know, growing up on it and, and playing almost every single one of them to completion. 
I just love it. I also love dumb collecting games. Mm-hmm. So if you just give me a collector simulator, that's my favorite game of all time then if you give me that. <laughs> uh, so it, it's it's really cool to dive deep into what could have been, what might be, and what never will be. Yeah, yeah. It's it's super interesting. And then I'll touch a little bit on the multiplayer that's there. So Pokemon's multiplayer for red and blue would involve two trainers using a link cable for the Game Boy in order to trade and battle Pokemon. There was supposed to be more of a communication aspect to the multiplayer, but due to the limitations of the Game Boy, the interaction between the two players was simplified. It was just more of a battle. Battle and trading. Yeah, that was basically, yeah, because even if you think about it, we're, you know, three feet away. Why do we need to, like communicate between our Game Boys? Well, I think they wanted just a bit more of like walking around, working together, and I think they ended mm, up true, really wanted true. a true multiplayer experience, which we still really haven't gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's still just based on trading, battling, and... Uh, like, yeah, raids uh, and raids and now like in the new ones. Yeah. So, Pokemon, MMORPG, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> we want it. We need it. <laughs> but now let's move on to the music for Pokemon. So in the early 1990s, programmer and composer Mizuda worked solely as a composer, programming only here and there, creating a program called Sound Driver that was used to play music and sound effects in Game Freaks and other titles that he had worked on at the time. He then used Sound Driver to compose the music for Pokemon Red and Blue from home on his Commodore Amiga computer, allowing him to bring in the music he created to the office and play it straight off of the Game Boy. Now, Mizuda would spend most of his time composing at home due to having five keyboards and synthesizers that he owned, as well as other instruments that weren't available in the main office. Because mm-hmm. again, makes sense. a lot of games, like even I think Half-Life was composed at home, essentially. Because yeah, a lot of it's just musicians or aspiring musicians who put this stuff together instead of mm-hmm. trying to create a soundstage or something. You know, most home musicians have kind of figured out their tune mm-hmm. and how to put it together and their setup. So, yeah best work that way. Mizuda's Pokemon Red and Blue soundtrack would use lots of inspiration from the worlds of both classical and neoclassical music, including Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring and Shatskovich's Symphony No. 5. An avid trombone player in high school, Mizuda would also grow up with the love and influence of traditional Japanese gagaku, taiko, traditional Indonesian gamelan, as well as rock, jazz, techno, and other genres of music. Mm -hmm. Despite all the music that inspired the soundtrack, there was one slight problem. The original Game Boy only had four sound channels. This meant that each piece of music could only have four unique voices, and Mizuda would have to rely heavily on melodious techniques rather than harmonies. Yes, so instead of composing instruments or keys together to create a note, you'd kind of have to have them all in the same universe mm-hmm. to kind of go up, 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 with that melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was also difficult to write harmonically due to the different kind of waveforms Masuda used in his writing. The waveforms used were square waves, triangle waves, sine waves, and sawtooth waves. Each had its own respective texture and relatively sticks to its own frequency range, meaning that if notes with the same area of a musical staff are played together on different wave types, it wouldn't sound you know, too muddy. This muddiness is relative to the listener, as some muddiness is what gives organic instruments such a piano-esque feel. So yeah, you don't want necessarily just them all to stand out. Mm-hmm. You want them to kind of blend, kind of, kind of push against each other a little bit yeah, and yeah. cause a little bit of that muddling. You know, 
a good muddling is how you have a good cocktail. <laughs> so that's that's what I'm talking about. So muddling for Game Boy soundtracks and cocktails. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for Pokemon Red and Blue, however, the synthesizers only had a limited amount of sound available. So chromaticism, syncopation, and interval jumps were needed to make the music stand out. So really knowing your music theory and understanding how sounds mm-hmm. go together made these beautiful melodic tunes that I have pressed on vinyl upstairs. <laughs> Pokemon Red and Blue would include 197 tracks totaling 113 minutes and 27 seconds over two discs. There would be no official soundtrack release in the United States. However, a 500 count limited edition vinyl would be released by Moonshake in 2016. That Alex owns. <laughs> While the soundtrack does include the roar and screech of every Pokemon in the game, the Game Boy didn't have enough space for each Pokemon to actually say their own name in the game. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, because there is like only a handful of like... <laughs> it's it's all sounds. And like the only ones you get later in the games, I think, are Eevee and Pikachu, just because mm-hmm. those kind of became staples. But I, I don't want to hear muck. Which muck. I love in even today's games. They still keep like those those noises and everything. It's so cool. Well, and obviously updated it. You have, you have mm-hmm, a better sound mm-hmm. profile. However, please sign my petition... I would like the anime noise that Krabby makes to make it way into the Pokemon games. Which one does that make? Obviously, you not being an avid Pokemon fan, <laughs> don't know. But he basically says cookie, cookie. It's cookie, cookie. And that's that's what he does for Krabby. And I now need that for the game, and it's not there. <laughs> well, I'll send the position. Sign my petition, please, because okay. I'm going to be uh, door-dooring it. <laughs> Though that there are only 37 unique roars, and the pitch and length of these were changed so that each Pokemon could have their own. However, Charizard and Rhyhorn share a roar, as well as Ditto and Poliwag. That's about right. So, you know, final little trivia for this, that the original opening scene was envisioned as a battle with sounds similar to drums for a marching band. Yeah, you're a true Pokemon master as yourself. Who's in the, who's in the opening battle? Uh, who's this? It's uh, Gengar and uh, I want to say Nido. Uh, uh, Nido. It's the second one of Nido King. Mm-hmm. It's not Nidoran. Nope. Almost. Ed no. Nidoro. What? Nidorano. <laughs> Nidorano. Okay. Okay. I I know it. I just couldn't uh, think of the name. That's a shame. <laughs> so let's let, let a true fan tell you about the release versions, <laughs> as I do. <laughs> uh, we have the Game Boy cartridge, which was. Red and green in Japan, as well as yellow, and then red, green, blue, or, excuse me, red, blue, yellow in the U.S., fire red and leaf green. These are the remakes of the original Japanese red and green uh, using the Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire engine, so they were on the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. The 3DS digital download, so 20 years after the release of the original game, the original Pokemon games would find themselves on Nintendo's eShop for the 3DS in all their original pixely glory. Released February 27th, 2016. Nintendo would also release special Pokemon Red and Pokemon Blue 3DSs as well. And finally, we have Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee. So these were kind of the testing grounds for Sword and Shield. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this was the new hype of the 3D of the Switch, which added in one of the major elements besides the full graphical change was being able to see Pokemon before you... Yeah, just walking around. Just walking around. Doing their thing. So that was kind of what people wanted. So you could still see Pokemon in tall grass, but now you see them walking around and can battle them directly. Very similar to the mechanics of Pokemon Sword and Shield, the latest for Mm -hmm. the Switch. It's scary when they start chasing you, though. Because all of a sudden you're like, uh-oh, uh-oh. I love when the little wimpy ones do it, though. They're like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> They're so cute. 
But let's talk about the general reception and general reaction of this game. I know we've been talking about it throughout this episode, but let's really wrap it all up. And what kind of impact did Pokemon make? So when the game was first released, some employees of Game Freak would visit local video game shops to see how well the game was doing. Since at the time that there was no way of knowing initially, like they mm-hmm. they had to they had to wait like a week or two and get like the financial reports. From what they saw, the game was selling rather well. Shortly afterwards, they started receiving their sizable commissions from Nintendo, which was another really good sign of the game sales figures. They then started seeing more and more newspaper articles about the game's success. But before this, before they were getting all the commission checks, really it was like the game being spread through the word of mouth of children in Japan. I'm going to be honest. That's how I got it. Uh, absolutely. You know, because I was, what, six, seven when I, when I got it. You know, I just knew friends that had it. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, my grandma bought it for me. Hip grandma right there. I think I first found out about Pokemon because my friend had a, uh, a VHS tape. It was the one where they went on the cruise and got the magic carp. Mm-hmm. Not Bye Bye Butterfree? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good one, too. After the game came out in the U.S., Game Freak was actually overwhelmed with the licensing requests that they were getting from companies. Because, again, at this time, Pokemon was everywhere. You had a bunch of shirts. I mean, mm-hmm. it, we well, talked about it. Toys, shirts, cars, you know. <sighs> Everything. Cool bath towels. <laughs> <laughs> they would eventually visit the U.S. and were blown away with the sheer amount of Pokemon merchandise they would see in regular stores. The team at Game Freak would actually collect any Pokemon memorabilia they could get. Dude, I would do the same thing. If they had made something and, like, fan-made stuff or licensed things... I would just deck my house out Dude, with it. Dude, that's so but that's so cool that they're so excited and they loved it that they just they were like they created it and they're buying this stuff. And they're like, like, hey Japanese guys, you ever heard of this game Pokemon? Like it just came to the US. <laughs> Do you want to buy my stuff? They're like, yes. Though even before Pokemon was ever released in the US, it had already become a four billion dollar franchise in Japan. It's crazy. With Pokemon Japanese red, green, and blue versions selling over four million copies, I think within like two or three years. Yeah. The 3DS version of the game sold over 1.5 million units, and more than half of those sales came from the U.S. market alone. 100%. Though there is no official Metacritic rating for Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow on the original Game Boy, the average rating for the game over the years would be around a 7.9 out of 10 because they are biased and it should be a 10 out of 10. (laughs) The official Nintendo magazine would name Pokemon Red and Blue the 52nd best-selling Nintendo game of all time, and IGN would put Pokemon Blue as the 37th best-selling video game of all time. Uri Geller, an Israeli-British illusionist best known for bending spoons with his mind, was in Japan for Christmas in 2000, and he was surprised when a group of Japanese children asked him for his autograph, claiming he was the real-life Kadabra. So if you don't know Pokemon, Kadabra is one of the obviously, spoon-bending Pokemon. This would eventually turn into Geller suing Nintendo for using his likeness as a character and making him a monster. He also claims a star on Kadabra's head was a reference to his Jewish heritage. The case was thrown out, but Nintendo would stop creating Kadabra Pokemon cards as a result and has only recently... Yeah, I think within like two weeks, I think, of recording this. Yes, two weeks of recording this. So obviously recording this a little earlier in the year. It's, it's like he's allowed it. He's like, you can do it. Yeah, because I is that the case is thrown out. It's a regular five pointed star. It's not the star of David. It's yeah. And, and I want to jump back a little bit and talk about just the success of this and and what has come about because we have a number of these kind of frivolous lawsuits that came about that were just thrown out immediately mm-hmm. after this of like likeness or like you stole my idea. I was doing this mm. first. It, it's going to happen with creating characters like this. Absolutely. Like the saying goes, there's no original ideas. 
Yeah. It's nothing new under the rising sun or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's it's crazy, like, even the impact of this is, like, uh, uh, not only, like, with people suing them, but Pokemon was being rejected at one point by by Christians because they said that it was it was causing devil worship or whatnot with their kids. And, and I know PETA is fully against Pokemon. They've, they've created their own Pokemon version. Weird. And, like, I think the Pope at one point had to tell Christians that it wasn't a bad game. Like, the Pope had to publicly state, like, let kids play this game. Yeah, if you have a chance, go look up PETA's guidelines on how to play Pokemon. It's just you don't play it, but there's, like, a way to play it. Like, you don't fish because fishing rods are bad for fish. And, like, it's it's weird. Just go check it out. Go check it out. But moving on from that, you know, even to today, we're still seeing ideas from the original Pokemon being pushed. Because in 2016, Legendary Pictures signed a multimedia film deal with Pokemon Company, with the first film releasing in 2019 as a film adaptation of the 3DS game Detective Pikachu. Mm -hmm. As of right now, there is supposedly a live-action adaptation of Pokemon Red and Blue since Detective Pikachu isn't a part of the same storyline or possibly even the same timeline, which Detective Pikachu was okay. I loved it. It was okay. You hate Pokemon. It's okay. I like Pokemon. I didn't like that movie. But wrapping this all up, Pokemon Red and Blue spawned the start of Pokemon becoming one of the highest selling IPs of all time next to Mario. The game took years longer than it should have to develop, but the payoff is almost immeasurable. Pokemon has continued to grow throughout the years, becoming a multi-billion dollar franchise and winning over the hearts of children and adults alike. Nintendo has no plans on slowing down anytime soon with Pokemon, and most are beyond okay with this. With dozens of spin-offs and mainline titles releasing every few years, partnered with cards, the animes, and more, it's clear that Pokemon is a transmedia franchise that a lot of games aspire to be. To this day, trainers pick up an old or new Pokemon title, pack their bags, and explore the regions of the fictional world, looking to battle any trainer in their path and catch them all one Pokemon at a time. Or, or buy a Dratini. Buy a Dratini? Yeah. Okay. Man, you are not a Pokemon master, are you? I'm not a Pokemon master. I'm sorry. Jesus I, I Christ. Played the, I played the first one years ago. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And you never bought a Dratini? That's because you suck at gambling. I <laughs> I don't gamble, even in video games. Well, you have to get your Dratini. So I don't want to do that. Well, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about true fandom <laughs> versus fake wishy-washy. <laughs> That's what you are. You're wishy-washy. I'm sorry. You I'm are. Sorry. You, you know what wishy-washy is? I, oh my God. I, I don't know if you're saying it literally or... I'm saying in Pokemon terms. No. That is where the school of fish come together and they form the shark thing. It's I'm the, sorry. It's the fish Pokemon. I'm sorry. But let's move on from that. All right. Tell me why you picked this game, Jesse. Obviously, you don't. You hate this game. Why'd you pick it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but no. So we decided on this game is because, as we had said, it, it formed... You know, something that consumed our lives at one point when we were children. It consumed everyone's lives. Yeah, essentially. Even your parents got sucked into it, you know, because they were driving you to Burger King for the meetups or going to the movies with you. Like, it was such a crazy thing at the time. And as I said, it blew my mind finding out that the the Game Boy games is what spawned it all. I thought it was the games were just part of a different marketing tactic for, like, let's say the cards or the anime. Like... I never knew that it was the game, but in reality, the the game at its core is pretty simplistic. You're just battling and collecting and still has a pretty immersive universe from day one. And, and still years later, there's these controversies of, you know, there are pokey gods out there. You know, Game Freak just doesn't want us to know. Like, I think 
it, it's it's stood the test of time and even to to this day like the first games are replayable like uh i, I bought my girlfriend pokemon yellow last year i played some of it for a while it's like it's still fun it still holds up like Obviously, there's a huge difference between Switch and, and the Game Boy version, but they're, they're still both fun. And I think that the replayability is there uh, time and time again, and it's just awesome to see that this this franchise has grown out of it, and it's going to continue to grow no matter what. Pokemon's a true game. Pokemon is a, is, is one of those things that has, has just stayed with you from the first time you play it. It's, it's so cool to get involved in this universe that has, like, all these different creatures, like, when you first get to pick and like that's your main decision is to start with Squirtle, Charmander, you know, Bulbasaur, or, you know, if you're doing hard mode, Pokemon Yellow with Pikachu, it, it's it's such a, a cool start to it. And then as you, you're like, oh, there's a, there's a bird. There's like Redditata, like, or Redditata, whatever you pick. <laughs> and, and like, as you see Pidgey and then you start to see more and then you get to uh, Viridian Forest and you see Weedle and Caterpie and then eventually get Metapod. And, like, it's, it was such a cool experience and I still feel that today when I play them of like, seeing the new Pokemon, seeing the encounters. You know, we didn't touch on this on the rumors, but one of those big things was like, okay, to truly catch a Pokemon, you throw the Pokeball out and hold B or mash A a bunch, and mm, that's actually what's mm-hmm. going to do it and, and, and triggers the code. You know, those things were just such rumors spread by, and everyone knew them. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. Even if you played with someone down the street, like they like had their own method, like, oh, I push, I push either button, I hold it. I turn my Game Boy sideways, and that's how the I don't. Stays. I don't want to look because like yeah. you feel like it, it's like when you look away, that's when it'll happen. It's such goofy superstitions, and so like that's why I really chose this. Like, yeah, it's one of the best selling games of all time. Yes, yeah, spawned everything, but it, it's it's a game that you can jump into today if you've never played a Pokemon franchise and and feel that and feel yeah. the excitement of it and the story unfold as you deal with uh, the Silphscope and deal with Team Rocket and deal with Bill and like figure out who your PC person is because he turned himself into a Pokemon and they have to turn <laughs> him back. And, you know, the discovery of the ancient birds mm-hmm. and of Mewtwo and trying to discover if there's a Mewtwo, where's like Mew 1? Yeah, where, where's the OG Mew? Yeah, so how did that come about? And, and then the tie-in... As a true Pokemon uh, genius, I knew the game came first. <laughs> but as a tie-in, like seeing Brock and seeing Misty, mm-hmm. and because and, those were kind of the first episodes we even see as these are the people who go along with Ash, and they were the gym leaders that follow him, but you get to see them in there, in their respective gyms, and, and to play through it and to see these things. And going along with the link cable and trading, like, why won't my Kadabra evolve? Why won't my Haunter evolve? I need a Golem. It's those link trades. So it forced mm-hmm. you to have a friend or steal a Game Boy and trade between them. Mm-hmm. To collect that true 150 or 151 was, was such an honor to get it. And then you had Mr. Nintendo you know, himself be like, great job. You collected them all. You know? <laughs> Pat you on the back. So that's why I really wanted to choose this. It wasn't the selling or Jesse's – I've now learned Jesse's favorite phrase – it's good for what it was. No, oh, that's not today. true. I'm saying it's it still holds up in today's uh, standards. I like I say, it still holds up, and you don't talk about the terms of when it was. Oh, when it was, it was it was a phenomenal game mm. through and through. Was it? Yeah. Who's the 25th Pokemon? Oh the fuck, Pikachu. Wrong. It's Pikachu. Who's the 97th? If we go back, I believe that would be later on. So it's like the either Kangaskhan era, or that's later, or it would be within your triple evolutions of like Poliwag, Poliwhirl, Poliwrath. Which one is it? 
it's either one of those, either Kangaskhan or the Polyrath eras. Tip no. No, it's the doubles, so it's right before Kangaskhan. All right, nerd. <laughs> All right, who's the seventh? I don't know, but you were asking me as that's, if that's, I knew. You don't know the seventh? No. I don't, I don't have these memorized. Charmander. Actually, it might be Squirtle. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I just know, know Bulbasaur's one, two, three. <laughs> it's one of those starters. But yeah, no, I, I, I chose this just because... It was my childhood. It's childhood for so many people. It's Nintendo's, you know, through and through. I mean, we're seeing a lot of, which is actually, I, I really do appreciate this. We're seeing a lot of kind of uh, Pokemon clones coming out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the, the the MMORPG that dropped. Uh, let me look it up actually real quick. Uh, so Late last year? Yeah, it was late last year. And it kind of fell off because it was just kind of like nothing to do. But there's another Pokemon clone that came out that, you know, is it, pretty cool. Uh, Temtem. Temtem came out late last year, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's supposed to get a, a revitalization. And there's a couple others that came out. But Temtem, apparently, like I saw it on Twitch for a bit. It's neat, and it makes sense. You can go around and be MMORPG and find these mm-hmm. trainers kinda, and stuff like what, that. Kind of what like, a lot of people want Pokemon to do. It's exactly what they want Pokemon to be. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hoping they can take from that and kind of see what they can do. But, yeah, Pokemon as a franchise and the Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow era were just such a game changer in terms of almost anything at the time. I mean, they were they were the Magic the tra- magic the Gathering for kids. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, that's what got a lot of people into trading cards was that, and then eventually Yu-Gi-Oh!, um, and then into Magic if you went. But it was, it was such an impact and something that I think has truly changed the face of gaming and is something that everyone can pick up and have a good time. It doesn't matter who mm. you are. Like I said, I knew about it, but my grandma knew more about it than me at the time. And like <laughs> saw the ads and like bought me Pokemon Red as my first one. Did you get Hunter today? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. She would call regularly. <laughs> Six-year-old Alex, did you uh, did you get your Hunter going to Gengar yet? I mean, <laughs> come on. Get on it. Come on. Get on come it. Come on. Well, I think it's beautiful about Pokemon as well is that you, you kind of do remember like your first Pokemon and I think like... It, uh, a lot of people I know, like no matter what gen they start with, it's just captivating, like through and through. Yeah, it's you're not, awesome. You're not wrong, and and the lead in and the tie in, you know, with the show, mm-hmm. and and I remember, you know, waking up and watching that. Obviously, four kids, it's a whole different talk of like what they changed. Um, but bye bye Butterfree, Tearjerker, you just don't care because you... uh, there were sad episodes. The episode I don't remember the exact episode or like the name of it, but when Ash is in the cave and all the Pokemon come and warm him up. Okay, it's not sad, but it's touching. <laughs> That's real sad. <laughs> it's not sad. It's touching. That's How about really that? sad. Let's let's come down to our ratings. All right, let's go come ahead. down to our ratings. I'm gonna give this one eight point five or nine out of ten. I'm surprised. I expected you to give it a negative two. <laughs> you hate it. No, they're fun. I like these games. If I had to give it anything, I would give it two hamburgers that were actually rice cakes in the Japanese version of the show, but converted to fat Americans. <laughs> um, divide that by Jesse literally being Gary Oak, but worse. <laughs> Add in... The honest factor of nostalgia, but also just like of fun. Like it's that weird thing where like mm-hmm. we've talked about you and I of plenty of things through this podcast of wearing nostalgia glasses and liking it nostalgia, but not liking it now. Mm-hmm. But you could still like it now. Like I said, like you, I know you talked about the game mechanics are older. It is a slower game, but you can still pick it up and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really appreciate about it. Add in that my favorite Pokemon is Geodude. From the 151, and then divide Butterfree's sadness from leaving out of Ash Ketchum. Good score. Thank you. Good score. Great score. But that was our coverage of 
Pokemon Red and Blue. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. Cover art by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson. And music written and composed by Evan Barr. And more important than those people, because they're not doing much in this thing, <laughs> is our beautiful and wonderful patrons. So, as we say each time, we have a Patreon with uh, bonus shows, episodes, posters, shirts, swag, meet and greets kind of with us online. We have some cameo things we've done, which is kind of cool. Plenty of stuff on there if you want to check it out. It is at patreon.com slash finish the fight. And want to thank those who are patrons right now. And we'll start with Charles Zitter, Tactics, Skyjack, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Count Fong Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Tuna0317, Brendan Christian, Richard Scanlon, McChief, Big Papa Semichki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Vandevort, Climbing Spork, and William Kroll. Thank you guys so much for the support. As well, we're streaming along with our episodes. So as this episode airs, the following week I will be playing Pokemon Red and Blue. So we'll be doing some fun things with that. We might change up the rules a little bit, but come check us out. It's going to be a great time. And we're over at twitch.tv slash SourMan70. That's S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. And be sure to follow us on Twitter or Instagram as well as, you know, click the link in the bio for those. You can join our Discord. It is free for any and all. We do have uh, some channels just for the patrons, but... The community's growing every day. It's awesome. It's fun. It's awesome to see just just where it's come. It's been a fun time. I, I really appreciate it. Really love doing this. It's great. Uh, make sure that you tune in to your AM FM radios. For all behind the scenes that we do, we are on AM 790.2. can only tune in from 16 different points on Earth. <laughs> and be sure to find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to give us a starred rating and review, we would appreciate it greatly. But that was our coverage, as I said, of Pokemon Red and Blue. I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. <laughs>